Welcome to Pull Up a Chair. I'm Bina Mehta, the chair of KPMG in the UK. And in each episode, I'll be chatting to some of the world's most influential business leaders and thinkers around sustainable growth, what it means to them and why it matters. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ewan Blair, co-founder and CEO of Multiverse. This British edtech startup offering professional apprenticeships is taking on the educational establishment. Ewan admits that he didn't love studying and he will be sharing what he's learned from disrupting traditional educational models, the challenges of scaling sustainably in the UK and how businesses can use apprenticeships to build the skills they'll need in the future. Ewan, please pull up a chair. So welcome Ewan to pull up a chair. It's absolutely pleasure to have you here today. And we're going to turn our lens now to fast growth businesses, which is something that you've led. You started your business in 2016, Multiverse, which is an apprentice company, apprenticeship company. And you've grown phenomenally over the last five, six years. And you're now a unicorn. So congratulations on that. Um, I want to just really start with, um, with the lens of a scaling business. What does sustainable growth mean to you? And I always think it's interesting when people ask it because we never really decouple the two, right? You often get asked about this as if it's a sort of false choice between sustainability and growth. The two have to go hand in hand. Now, that is increasingly being driven by market forces because growth at all costs was okay maybe two years ago. It's absolutely not okay now, right, from a market financial perspective, but also from a social perspective. It's incumbent on every business leader to say, first, let's make sure we're not being net negative society and then ideally let's try and figure out how to be net positive um and in the end markets investors public money reward those things over time and you, you've, you've touched on society so a lot of the the conversation i've had in these podcasts is around that balance between profit yeah you know businesses are yeah. out you know to make profit but equally have a responsibility to plan it and you've talked about not being net negative but also society. So could you just talk a little bit about how you see, how you, you look at that lens through your business? Because you're, you're trying to actually address exactly that through the work right. that you do. It gets to the heart of it. And, and when we talk about sustainability, of course the environment's a part of it, but it is only a part. You've got to think in the end that social mobility, which we spend a lot of time on, our mission is to create a diverse group of future leaders, is essential. And actually lack of social mobility is eroding the tenets of liberal democracy at the moment, which creates a really big long-term problem. There are a lot of people who feel like they have no stake in the future. There are a lot of people who feel like they're left behind or locked out of the labor market or the best opportunities through no fault of their own, and that becomes toxic. And so the more businesses can focus on addressing these kind of structural problems, so be it in education, be it in access to careers, be it in healthcare and health outcomes, which uh, again, there's a huge amount of disparity around, it's really, really crucial. and governments i think at the same time are, are struggling to deal with some of these problems due to the short-term nature of politics but also the fact that we've got we've got more polarization in the political arena certainly in britain and america than we've had for a very long time that's a really interesting point i'm going to pick up on that a little bit later if that's okay um just but i want to talk a bit about multiverse so you know i think you or somebody else has talked about in the past you know that people who went to universities had a better opportunity or had a, there was a better spread of opportunity and that we'd end up having a fairer society. Now that clearly hasn't happened and I'd just like to get your perspectives on why that hasn't happened but equally how multiverse starts to face into that. So 
and it was almost it was almost naive of policymakers to assume that would be inevitable. The challenge you've got is twofold. It's partly the increasing costs of higher education. It's also the often inscrutable or inadequate admissions criteria of higher education institutions and an obsession with academics above everything else. Now, only 4% of those who claim free school meals make it to a Russell Group University. That's a problem. At the same time, nearly half of people on corporate graduate programs were educated at private school. So it, it is, if anything, university has started to actually increase and exacerbate the issues around mobility and opportunity for everyone. Now, part of the reason for that, I suspect, is because there hasn't been a genuine viable alternative. And we've seen that emerge in the last few years, particularly with apprenticeships. When I look at our apprentices, the apprentices we place, over half of people of color, 33% come from the poorest parts of society. And in fact, um, majority are claiming free school meals. Um, about 56% are women, including in tech roles. Now, that is a much better cross-section of society and a much better spread than what we see at universities. The good news is companies are now helping to drive this because they're saying, hey, we want to reach diverse talent and we also need talent with a very particular set of skills and we're not getting that through the formal education system. So all of that helps to really bolster the cause of apprenticeships in a meaningful way. So talking about apprenticeships then, so you're disrupting this traditional educational system that we've talked about. Um, what does it mean? So if you could just maybe explain what it is that you do and how, because not everybody may know what you actually provide businesses, but also what that actually means for the existing educational establishment, businesses of today, but also more importantly, and I think you've already touched on it, what it means for society in terms of access, fairness, and more social mobility. Yes. So. We are building an outstanding alternative to university through professional apprenticeships, right? Our mission is to create a diverse group of future leaders. And that spans primarily three main areas. The first is admissions. So how you ensure you get diverse pipelines of talent that reflect society and that actually are being overlooked because of a lack of a university degree or other opportunities. The second is around applied learning. So how you build really robust ways of training people in the workplace and you don't cleave off the education and the training. And we use personalized coaching, um, uh, technical skills, durable skills coaching to kind of develop that. And then the third and final piece is community because actually networks matter whether we like it or not. And one of the powerful things that university can give people is access to networks. So we have meetups, social, sports teams, societies. Uh, we have everything from office hours to Harvard Business School with uh, to sessions with Terry Crews, Jeremy Hunt, Laura Koonsberg, uh, and try and expose our apprentices to those experiences. And if you look at what we actually deliver, the main priority is focusing on digital tech and data skills, because they are a very surefire pathway to earning a family sustaining wage and having a long-term sustainable career. The economy is massively underweight those skills, and that's creating big problems for companies' ability to grow and adapt. Um, and at the same time, we also do look at people who are in the workplace because there is a huge tale of talent that needs to be re-equipped. Otherwise, in five to 10 years, they may not have jobs. And that would be a massive loss, both to the economy and to society. Absolutely. I'd, I'll, I'm going to pick up on that in terms right. of the lifelong learning yes. aspect of, of all of us. Right. You know, all of us are re-pivoting and reskilling. But before I do that, I just wanted to talk, you talked about the importance of diversity and digital skills or you know, digital transformation. It's exactly what I hear from uh, from my right. peers. You know, these are the two things that they they are also thinking about: diversity of workforce all the way through, but equally, how do you transform digitally and how do you equip yourselves to do that? So, 
I, I think apprenticeships is a really good route through. But do you, in your experience of having mm. been in the, you know, doing this for five, six years, have you seen businesses really adapt and embrace apprenticeships? And um, do you feel that there are some sectors that may be more open to it than others? Yeah, so it's yes, right, absolutely. We wouldn't have grown as quickly as we, we have if businesses hadn't embraced this. KPMG have been at the forefront of that, where I think we have a couple of hundred apprentices um, with a particular focus actually on women in tech, which has, has been a real priority for, for the firm. Um, we've seen lots of adoption in financial services. We've seen lots of adoption in technology companies. Um, we've actually seen a huge amount of adoption in more traditional industries, ranging from construction through to the automotive industry, because they're all, you know, they're no longer becoming car makers, they're becoming e-commerce companies, or they're no longer simply building houses, but they're using data to figure out the best ways of kind of um, building both sustainably and more cheaply and effectively in the future. So technology is changing every single sector. They cannot get these skills relying on the university system because the university system is not only a long way behind, but it's simply not producing enough talent, right? We train more people in data analysis than the entirety of the UK university system actually trains people in that subject. That is a massive issue when there are hundreds of thousands of, of job gaps there. Um, the other thing though, is that companies are ditching degree requirements across the board. They don't care about what you know, they care about what you can do. And there's no correlation between academics and job performance. People do want to reach diverse talent. So removing barriers that are not serving any good purpose makes absolute sense. And in the conversations I have with employers, and actually a lot of this is being driven in boardrooms by CEOs of organizations, um, they are desperate to kind of get their organization into this groove because they know it's essential to their future growth. And while they believe heavily in the social cause, the economic cause is just massive, right? So much evidence that diverse teams create better results, return more value for shareholders, everything else that, that we know and at least now is being talked about a lot. But also it, it helps you attract and retain employees because employees want to feel like they're, they're working for a good cause that is more than just let's create some profit for shareholders. Absolutely. To, I, I absolutely agree with you. So one of the things that you do is also allow people to have get, uh, earn their degrees on the job yep. as well, which means that individuals who may aspire to have a degree have an opportunity to do that, albeit not through the traditional routes. And talking about the foundational skills that really drive um, uh, uh, sort of underpin a technology-driven yes. uh, economy, because yes. that's really where we are. Every organisation, as you've highlighted, whether it's construction, you know, or whether it's professional services, are are being transformed by technology and what it will do for their businesses going forward. You've talked about the role that you can play in helping skill individuals that wouldn't necessarily have had access to that, but actually also developing the skills, programmes, talent programmes yes. that aren't available, and you know, staying ahead of the game in terms of talent and and the skills that we're going to need going forward. What do you think we can do more of in the UK? So we've got you as, as one example, but what more can the UK do to really accelerate that, that transition? So I think we've got to get really serious about equipping people with the right skills and spreading access to opportunity more evenly. The formal education system is woefully behind in this regard. There is an obsession about academic credentials above everything else. There is a lack of focus on what we call durable skills, things like 
how to navigate the workplace, how to have challenging conversations with people, various other things that matter deeply in a professional environment. And, and in the end, if you think, what's the purpose of education? For most people, it is at some point to be able to do a fulfilling job and earn a great salary. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So there's, there's insufficient focus on this area. We have hundreds of thousands of jobs that are unfilled in data, digital and tech because it is currently being inadequately provided for in the formal education system. So apprenticeships are, are sort of filling a big gap there. And we've seen the US government make a huge um, investment through the CHIPS Act, hundreds of billions of dollars being spent on developing AI and semiconductors and sort of building a really robust tech ecosystem. China's doing the same thing. The European Union's doing something very similar. In Britain, we can't afford to be left behind there. So it requires a combination of sort of government focus but also looking at our education system and looking at pathways and the routes we encourage people to take to access opportunity. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The pathways are really important. I mean, and, and as an organisation, we've been looking at that as well as we've been very right. focused on social mobility yes. and how do you create the pathways that aren't necessarily uniform for everybody. Um, I just wanted to pick up on um, the UK just one more time. The, the tech community in the UK is a very important community and a great ecosystem. We've got great techno innovation yep. and you know, you're a great success story as well. Uh, um, what more do you think the UK can do to sort of kind of really garner and kind of harvest this tech um, opportunity that we've got here? It's something I've thought about a lot because we, we raised capital from the US and the reason we did that was partly because there was a bigger level of ambition to create a kind of really generational huge company, which was interesting. Um, deeper pools of funding to be able to access. And actually a real desire to kind of try and create businesses that can drive transformative change. I would say the risk aperture is probably greater in the US. Yeah. Though early stage UK investment is incredibly good and robust. Um, and I, I should say my wife's a general partner at probably the best early stage seed fund in Europe, right? So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening there. But as you start to get to growth stage and beyond, capital is is sort of less readily available. Um, but the best companies still manage to attract it. And I, I think what we really need to do is focus on the skills. Because if we can find, if companies can find great talent in Britain, you know, this is a great place to establish a company. It's a great place to work. It gets a really good balance between kind of having suitable employment protections, but also flexibility in and around how things operate in the labor market. Um, we've just got to make sure we kind of encourage Britain's strengths there. And then with the acceptance that in so much of the world, you can no longer import talent in ways that you could. And actually, you know, if you look at CEO earnings calls over the last year, there's been far more talk of onshoring and nearshoring than there has been of things like offshoring. That sort of disappeared as we've seen globalization almost go in reverse in many areas. That means we've got to try and inculcate domestic talent and develop domestic talent. Now that can spread opportunity far more evenly if we get it right, but it requires clear central focus from the government. And I will praise them on the apprenticeship levy. That's been transformative because what it's done is it's forced every single major company to have a serious conversation about what we're doing on apprenticeships. And that then allows for an alternative model to emerge and scale much more quickly than it might have otherwise in you know, companies where previously this wasn't the subject they were engaged in. So um, 
that triangulation of skills, yep. financing, and yep. entrepreneurship is, yep. I, is, I think, the real yep. secret for for success of yep. successful businesses in the UK. Um, can I just move a little bit to the opportunities that you're filling um, and the businesses that you work with? Um, I think in something you wrote, you talked about 50 applications for every opportunity in the US. I mean, that's a phenomenal, that tells you there's a need. Right. right? And that tells you there's appetite. How can organizations help or how can society or how can government help those individuals that aren't the one that gets yeah. the job? So we know there's an opportunity. We know there's yeah. great demand because this is about society and equality in society. What can we do to help those that don't get the opportunities that are available? So I have a couple of thoughts on this. And actually, by the way, the demand is um, from, from individuals to do apprenticeships. We get an application every 11 minutes now, right? Which says something. And in the US where college has been paramount, right? And 75% of high school leavers will go and apply to college. It's been really interesting to see how much demand there's been for this. The challenge is there's been a lot of focus on what I would call supply side measures. So encouraging individuals to go and pursue apprenticeships, which is great. We welcome them. That's a really good thing. There's also been a lot of focus on training people for skills before they go into the workplace with the expectation they might then be able to go into the workplace. This is only part of the solution because the real big differentiator is on the employer side, right? let's call it the demand side, how you basically create um, more employers providing apprenticeship opportunities at scale. Because it's no good having people trained with certain skills and taking an alternative path if you don't then have employers saying, okay, we're going to go and tap into this talent. Now, we're doing a lot of that. I think government can play a serious role in raising awareness and convening people. But you, you've got to kind of match those two things together. And we've got to wean the few remaining employers, but significant numbers still, who believe that degrees are more important than everything else, we've got to wean them off that. Because actually it bears no scrutiny in the data. Um, and you you, you know, you can look at anything from, there was a Harvard Business Review article recently, just completely deconstructing any relationship between academics and job performance. Um, and we've also got to get employers being really serious about diversity because they Look, they believe it. Most employers want to run diverse workforces. They just don't really know where to start. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. So we talk, you talk about whether educational achievements actually are a predictor of success. Yeah, they're um, not. Yep. Yeah, we, yep. So that what you're saying is that, so what we look for is potential. Yes. And potential comes in all forms. Yes. But to embrace potential, you need to have an inclusive culture. Right. Right. Because sometimes that that's where that success doesn't come through because you don't have, you know, you, you need people to feel they belong and that they can succeed. So I just wanted to talk, talk, turn to culture, if that's okay. Um, purpose is really important. Yep. Um, and that's what I hear again and again, you know, purpose really underpins how an organization works. Can you talk to me about how purpose guides you in your business and in your sort of decision making? It's paramount, right? Our, our mission to create a diverse group of future leaders, we talk about all the time. The apprenticeships we provide completely free to the individual, right? They get paid a salary from the very start. They get personalized coaching, access to the community. Contrast that with a higher education system that's relied on people taking on debt or sometimes even paying up front um, and with no guarantee of a job at the end, right? That's a problem. 
Values also really matter, though. And we talk a lot at our company about our values, ranging from things like we believe in equality of opportunity to we treat others as we want to be treated. Um, we rely on facts and logic through to we don't take ourselves too seriously because it's no, it's easier to ask people to work hard and um, deliver results that might be stretching if they can bring their full selves to work and if they can have fun in the process. I absolutely agree with that fun piece because we spend most of our waking day at work, right? These so are people you're spending time fun. with, right? You spend fun. more time with the people you work with than with your family. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, isn't it a hell of a lot better if you actually get on with them and enjoy that? Absolutely. I, I absolutely believe it. And you talked about values, which is really fundamental um, because it underpins how you show up. Well, it's well. how you make decisions yeah. as well. And yeah. if you can if you can create this this kind of clear thread between decisions are being that are being made and the values of the company, then it just sort of helps everyone rally around that, right? Clarity around that is important. Transparency is particularly important. How would you describe the culture at Multiverse? So I refer to our values because I think they're a sort of good way of getting a sense of what the things are we prioritize. It is one where there is an expectation that we don't settle for average, right? You know, I've often said with us building the company and scaling so fast, small and mighty is fine, but it's not what we're about. We don't want to just have an impact on a few apprentices and the people around them. We want to try and figure out how you drive structural change in societies. Um, and that is not a small endeavor. So there's a huge amount of ambition. We tend to have very ambitious driven people working in our organization. It is very inclusive, right? And people have open conversations about lots of things as they should. Um, but it's also one where you are able to be who you are without having to have too many hang-ups on that. Inclusivity is crucial. And by the way, there's no point having diversity if you don't also have inclusion, Absolutely. right? They're two sides of the same coin. Um, no business is perfect on these things, right? But if you set the parameters and you focus on it and talk about it consistently enough, you certainly tend to do better than than you would otherwise. I absolutely agree. Leaders have to set the tone. Right. Otherwise, things just fester. And yes. actually, to really direct an organisation and to have a positive culture, I absolutely believe you have to you have to be focused on it. Relentless focus. It's got to be intentional. Relentless. Yeah, it doesn't focus. happen by accident. Yeah, exactly. Right? Especially when you're distributed, and especially post COVID, when people are, are still remote, you can't bring people together in the same. Absolutely, way. and you know we know that ten years in organisations are shortening as well. People are you know pivoting careers, pivoting roles, pivoting yep. organisations. So you you need to keep reinforcing that that cultural message. So that's really lovely to hear that from you. Um, Talking about people in careers, so mm. um, I think the trend is that people tend to move on in, in, in roles, etc. But there are many individuals that have been in roles for a period of time or have really leveraged their skills from, from university days. So with lifelong learning and as we get a sort of an aging workforce that needs to reskill and yep. lots of people talk to me about how they're going to reskill, how they're going to get te technological skills. We as a board even think about how do right. we become more literate in areas that we weren't necessarily trained in. Um, how do you see the role of multiverse in, in, that, in that phase, rather than the sort of the apprenticeship yeah. grads, but in terms of the slightly older workforce maybe, um, and helping them reset? Right at the heart of it, right? <laughs> we have plenty of older apprentices and it's so important. In fact, the fastest growing part of our business is what I would call the sort of radical reskilling. So taking people in frontline service jobs, be it in the fast food industry, 
uh, or customer success or even baggage handlers at airlines and retraining them in tech, data, and digital roles at those same companies. Because actually, all these companies grappling with digital transformation and they desperately need to change the composition of their workforces, but they don't want to lose incredible people who are churning a very high amount, uh, 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 rate in the process. So if they can take those people, identify the ones who have the potential and propensity to learn data analysis, software engineering, um, business management, project management, whatever else it might be, and then train them into those roles, they're saving a huge amount of money versus buying in that talent. They're creating a really good feel story across their organization because everyone loves the idea of someone being able to develop in their career. And it is one of the most tangible and return uh, positive ROI investments that you can make in your workforces. So we're finding that is a, is a really big factor and it covers everything from mums returning to the workplace through to military veterans, through to um, people working in, in frontline, high churn, low wage jobs. Brilliant, thank you for that. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that you are working with us. Of course you're mm. working with us. You know, you're, yes. you're not even like the apprentices, you're actually helping us train professionals. Yep. Um, yep. And I think, you know, hundreds of professionals in data and analytics. So thank you for that. Um, what are you seeing that is a difference between what your experience in the UK, which I understand is your biggest market, but actually far, in terms of the US, it's fastest growing. Yes. What are the differences and is there anything that we can learn from each other? In the US, college is more entrenched, Yeah. right? It's also much more expensive. I would argue as well that the both the focus at a corporate level and in the social discourse, issues around racial equity uh, are even more pervasive, right? And actually the US has, has changed dramatically over the last five to 10 years in terms of how it talks about these things and, and deals with these historic challenges. Um, you find that the opportunity set for people without degrees in the US is actually really, really obvious because if you can get them access to a job, the sheer cost of college, which can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, means that they're massively better off at a much earlier stage going and pursuing this route. The problem is though, awareness is much lower. Most companies still don't really know apprenticeship schemes exist. Now we're, we're taking them through this, this level of education and the more big companies we work with over there, from the Googles and the McKinsey's through to the Cisco's and the Verizon's, right? All of which we're, we're delivering programs with, um, the more that changes. I think in the UK, there has been a much broader social acceptance of apprenticeships. Uh, for example, nearly half of all parents say they think an apprenticeship is better than university for their child in terms of their earnings and their job prospects versus I think about 10% who don't. Um, so. There, I mean, that's shifted dramatically just over the last five years. Yeah. In the UK as well, there are just more well-established apprenticeship schemes at the moment, but we're getting there. We are getting there, definitely, definitely. Um, I just want to turn to you a little bit. Um, you set this up, uh, the business up, because you saw a really clear need. Um, I just wondered if you would, for our audience, because not everybody will understand the context of why this is so important to you and why you're so passionate, clearly so passionate about it. Would you mind just sharing a little bit yeah, of your story as to why you set it up? Not at all. I mean, I guess take, take my first job. So I, I joined Morgan Stanley in investment banking armed with a degree in ancient history and a master's in international relations that taught me absolutely nothing about this job I was supposed to know how to do and that I'd been hired for because presumably I was qualified. 
I remember looking at the graduate class I joined with, all very similar kind of backgrounds. In fact, particularly from a socioeconomic perspective, almost no diversity, predominantly white, predominantly male. And I thought, we have no divine right to be here because we're learning all this on the job, but this is a consequence of an obsession with a certain set of criteria that bear more in relation to social issues and barriers than they do to kind of efficacy on the job. And I was in banking for five years. I wanted to understand how capital gets allocated, how companies scale. I knew these things would be important before then pivoting. And I, I left to join an organization that was helping long-term unemployed people find jobs. And we helped people who had disabilities, history of incarceration, drug abuse, homelessness, uh, and people who were unable to access jobs for many, many years and got them jobs. And it was a great thing to do. I spent a lot of time talking to employers about just talent they were missing out by not looking at these pools of talent. The thing that I found frustrating, though, I ended up becoming CEO of that organization. We reached a milestone across the company where 100,000 long-term unemployed people had found jobs. The challenge was, too often the jobs we were getting them were minimum wage and high risk. So we could get them a job potentially in, in cleaning, in hospitality, in retail, in care, but it was very hard to keep them in that job. And the obsession for me increasingly became, what's it going to take to ensure the best jobs of the next decade don't simply go to all the same people as the best jobs of the last decade? Because if we can't address that head on, we will end up with more Brexit, more Trump, more stuff that basically just pulls people apart in democracies. And the idea was university, rather than becoming the solution to the problem, had actually become the problem in and of itself build a serious alternative, take this historic apprenticeship model that makes so much sense, right? Combining work and education seems like a really obvious thing to do and it provides great outcomes. So deliver this at scale and you can start to address that challenge. I love hearing stories from entrepreneurs because there's always something that inspires you and it's clearly equality and access to opportunity. So that's really lovely to hear. As you sort of look to the future and as a, as a, you know, as a leader of an, of an organization, it's quite sizable, 900 people now. Um, when you think about leadership's qualities, what, what, who do you aspire to in terms of what sorts of leadership qualities do you aspire to? But I also have a second question. How do you think they're going to change as we look hmm. forward? Because the world around us is changing. Yep. The nature of work is changing. You've alluded to it, hybrid working, the expectations of individuals in organizations and equally the expectations of organizations. Right. So two questions there, sorry. What yeah, qualities no, do you aspire to? And then what, how do you think they're gonna change? I think one of them, probably the most important is clarity of purpose, right? I think that's essential if you're gonna rally people around a cause that is difficult to solve and if you're gonna ask quite a lot from them. And most people are really looking for two things from their leaders. They're looking for inspiration and they're looking for development. And if you can give them that, you'll often get the most out of them and, and, and be successful in the process. I think the thing that we'll see more and more of, and it's partly being driven by Gen Z, but it's also partly being driven by an acceptance that companies need to be more open, is transparency. I think the more transparent you can be with people from everything from financials through to why certain decisions are being taken, the better. And I think it heads off a lot of problems at the past. I think you're absolutely right. People really do. People want to grow. So there's development, but transparency builds trust. Absolutely. Right. Um, and as we look forward, do you think that's going to change or do you think that it's just going to build on that? 
it's so it's so difficult to tell because I actually think that the sort of basic tenets of good leadership are fairly universal across sector, area, um, period of time. I think, as I say, I think that transparency piece will become more important because there are just dis different expectations for leaders now. It's fascinating. If you look at the latest Edelman Trust Barometer, people trust CEOs more than they trust politicians, journalists, even teachers, right? It's, it's actually, people often look to their businesses um, for some form of guidance, which is really fascinating. And that's a change I think that many people haven't expected or weren't ready for. So it gives a new set of responsibilities to, to this current crop of leaders. It's quite interesting. Somebody described it as business having the moral compass now, right? Um, which is something you would never have heard of <laughs> in the no. past. But um, great, so long as businesses then step up to the plate and, and address that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think leaders of today, the, well, certainly the ones I speak to, are very purpose-led and very people-driven. Like It's very focused on what they're doing for their people, what they're doing for their com communities, as much yeah. what they're doing for their yeah. customers or yeah. clients and, or and of course yeah, that services. matters right there's no point yeah. building a business where you care about your people you Don't know you've money. got a great purpose <laughs> right exactly because <laughs> what's uh, otherwise you're, you're not going to get very fast you've got to do both because there's generally uh, something that brings those two together powerfully you just have to figure out what it is in your particular business model or area yeah absolutely um, i'm going to talk to turn to you a little bit now um so as a leader of a fast growing business you're facing into many challenges all the time and they're different uh, because you know you're you're accelerating all the business issues into a very compressed timetable. Um, who do you turn to for I, I would say sort of sage advice or counsel uh, when you're facing into something difficult? Um, yeah. So it's, it's never normally kind of one person, but I'm lucky enough that we've got some incredible investors and board members, right? Danny Reimer at Index, Joel Cutler who founded General Catalyst, Mary Meeker. Ken Chenault, who was CEO of American Express uh, 15, for 15, 20 years. They all give incredible advice. Young Me Moon, who ran Harvard Business School, sits on our board, just an, an education and human being management expert. And then people within our company, right? Our president, Jeremy Duggan, Sophie Ruddock, COO, um, Anna, our, our CFO. You, you, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by lots of really good people I can get advice from. And I think that's what makes a great leader, when you are inspired by lots of different individuals, right. because each of them bring a different quality. Right. And it's, there's no, you know, I won't look out and say there's one person I would emulate, there isn't. I, there are qualities in yeah. individuals take, take that I things. want to take. So yeah. I think, I yeah. think that's what yeah. you've basically articulated there. Okay. If you, I mean, you've been on a journey, and I am sure there'll be there'll be stories you've got for, you know, of the difficult times. Because, you know, we've talked about the great stuff you do, the yep. impact you have in the business world, in the communities. I don't know if you've, you're, you're happy to share anything that you've experienced that's been quite challenging. But more importantly, actually, as you go back and you think about your, 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 your journey with Multiverse, what advice would you be giving other entrepreneurs? So, particularly doing the kind of fast growth startup experience, look, I think in any context, the most important thing is hiring, right? Who you hire, um, because you're surrounded by these people. You have to become incredibly close-knit. You have to have strong relationships. You're, it, it's the single biggest point of leverage you can have as a CEO, right? The people who are around you. And everyone is going to contribute and play a role. 
You've just got to make sure that you have people where there's the right mix of intelligence and character and integrity. Um, and as I say, you know, one of the reasons, again, coming back to one of our values being don't take yourself too seriously, the journeys are too hard and too long and ask too much of yeah. you to do it as a slog, right? It's It's got to have something that's that's a bit uplifting and the bedrock of that is personal relationships. But who you hire is is just fundamental. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they start out. They look a lot at the vision, they look a lot at the execution, you know, the broader strategy, everything else. But those individuals, it's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you're an incredibly busy person managing, you know, lots of things. How do you sustain yourself hmm. outside of work? Uh, family, definitely, right? I've got two young kids. Lex is three and a half and Rafe is a year and a half old. So they're incredible, love spending time with them, right? And it's really important to make that time for them. Um, my wife, right? broader family as well around that um you don't want to be all consumed by one thing all of the time and actually you can often take things from those different areas and try and bring them in to to how you deal and cope with certain experiences and it is important to be able to like you never switch off completely when you're running a company at this stage but to be able to have things you can absorb yourself in that just that aren't just work is is really important so what jumps out to me, Ewan, and I think about what you've just explained to me, what keeps you grounded. You talked about the advice you would give. It's all about people and your purpose and what you do as a business. It's all about people. So that for me is the virtuous circle that you you sort of create. Um, so if I, I'm going to sum up what I've taken away from this. There is so much more than that, though. I think it is about a virtuous circle. It's about you know your mission around you know, diverse groups of future leaders. Having diversity in the room is hard sometimes, but it actually leads to better outcomes and better decisions. And what you're doing for organizations to encourage that all the way through, permeating through, means that we'll have a future cohort of leaders that are very diverse. Right. And hopefully as a, an economy, we can, we can prosper. You've talked about um, radical reskilling at the sort of the more experienced end, but actually it's all about access to opportunities. Social mobility is something that we're very passionate about, and it is about access. Right. It's about helping people get the pathways. Organizations have the pathways and track people in. And fundamentally, it's all about seeing the potential of what we can do, not what we've achieved. So that's my summary of our interview. I'm sure there's much more that it's people will pretty take perfect. Away. So thanks very much, Bina. It was thank a pleasure. You, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for joining me today on Pull Up A Chair, whether you're at home, at work or somewhere in between. I do hope you'll join me next time for more insights from business leaders and thinkers on how to unlock sustainable growth that delivers to the needs of people, planet and profit. Goodbye.